worship today? Amen. Welcome everyone. Those of you watching online, we want to welcome you as well. We also have some guests with us today. Chi Alpha, the college ministry. They're all, if you're Chi Alpha, raise your hand, give a shout. Look at that. Look at all these students here today. My goodness, led by Brian here in the front row. Brian Bishop, he spoke here before. So glad that you guys could join us here today. Well, um, my wife's birthday is coming up next weekend. And so, amen. And so I, I'd like to get her something nice, and you've helped me out before. So I thought maybe you guys could help me out again. So I narrowed the search down to eight items that I know she's just going to love, but I can't decide which one to get. So I'm going to show you some suggestions up on the screen, and maybe you guys can help me out and let me know which one you think that she would appreciate the most. Okay, so here's the first one. The first one is, go ahead and pop that one up there, cat AirPod holder. This is $6 a night. Now, the problem is that she doesn't have any AirPods, so I would need one of you guys to get her the AirPods. But I could take care of the holder there. So, so that's seven bucks, all right? Number two, this is another one I had, a taco holder. That's 20 bucks, so that might be a little bit more than I'm wanting to spend. So we'll, we'll think. <laughs> Number three is a Nicholas Chick Cage coffee mug. You are my national treasure. I can see her drinking her coffee out of that big smile on her face every morning. Amen. Okay, that's $16. Next one. We've got a pizza pouch for seven bucks. This is a gift that keeps on giving. She could wear this around her neck. She gets a little hungry for a snack. She pops it out and takes a bite. Amen. All right. Well, hey, she doesn't, looks like she likes that, but I think that'd be a great gift. Next one, number five, um, Dr. Phil M&M pillowcase. $15.96. Sweet dreams, my love. Next one, number six, is a cat Yes, I guess that's for all you cat lovers out there. I'm not sure what all that is up there, but uh, Kyle, I won't get you that, I promise, okay? I don't know about that calendar there, but anyway. Okay, number seven, animal paw socks. This would look great when she's like in heels or in those sandals and stuff, wearing them animal paw socks would look really good. That's 10 bucks. And then the last one, we got a blanket hoodie for 35 But Somebody said that's it, but it's also $35. Come on, guys, help me out here. I'm looking at more of the $6.99 items, okay? All right, so I don't know. Maybe you can help me out after service. Let me know which one of those. And just so you know, if you want to buy her one of those, I'm sure she would greatly appreciate it. Um, so anyway, happy birthday to my love. That's next week. <laughs> this will be a birthday she never forgets, I guarantee it. All right, well, here we go. Before we begin today, I, I, there was a situation that happened towards the end of service uh, last week that I feel like I need to address. Um, I feel like I need to address it not for two reasons. Number one, I, I have had a, a tremendous amount of questions asked this week um, in regards to what happened. But I also believe it is, number two, I believe it's a teaching moment, a teaching opportunity that gives me a chance to help explain to you and understand what's going on when something like that happens according to the Word of God. Not based on what I think, but according to the Word of God. So I don't want to take too long on this because I want to get today's message, but I do feel like it's important to take a few moments to discuss it. If you were not here, you're thinking, what in the world happened? Well, I'll explain that to you. So just bear with me. When I entered into ministry... I entered ministry under the teaching that when the Holy Spirit, and last week's message was on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so many of you have told me it was, it was one of the, 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 the most understandable teachings that you've, that you've ever heard, and so if you miss that, I encourage you to go out and go back and listen to it, but it was on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
But when I was new in the ministry, I was taught that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the Holy Spirit will cause you to do some strange things. Basically, I was taught that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will not be able to control yourself. That's what I was taught, and that's what I believed, and anybody, I was also taught that anybody that thought differently was trying to quench the Holy Spirit. And so, I would watch people bark like dogs, I would see people wither on snake, like snakes on the floor, there's no shortage of videos on, 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 on internet, you can go see all this stuff. I would watch people scream and shout uncontrollably to the point where you couldn't even hear the speaker. And this wasn't like someone shouting amen during the service when the speaker's speaking or praising God during the praise and worship. I mean, this was different. This was kind of like what you would have seen last week. They got the Holy Spirit, I was told. This is normal for me. This is what I was trained in, and this is what I believe to be real. But as time went on, and I began to mature in the things of God, and I began to understand the Word of God better, things just were not lining up. And so I started to question some things. I talked about that a little bit in our series, some things that i seen. i seen things fabricated. People would be encouraged to seek after these experiences rather than seeking after God himself, and the experiences became the focal point of the service, and I was in services like that, and if these things are not happening, the Spirit of God is not there, I was told, but the problem was these things never happened to me. So I honestly started to think that something was wrong with me. Because why is the Holy Spirit not doing this to me? He seems to be doing it to the same people every week in the service. But like for me and a lot of others, the Holy Spirit's not, I'm not, I'm not getting that. Because I'm not barking like a dog. I'm not screaming for hours on end or anything like that. And so what this did is it forced me to do a little soul searching. And I began to dig into the Word of God to find out what I was missing. Because surely I am wrong. Last weekend, there was an individual that stood up at the end of service, and they started yelling very loudly. If you were here, you'll you'll remember that, walking back and forth across the front. This happened seconds before I went into the altar call, and in that moment, I lost every one of you. I could see it. The worship team could see it. I lost every one of you. I bet nobody can tell me what I said during that time, but I bet everybody can tell me what that individual was doing. All the attention went off of God and onto the individual at the, at the altar call moment in our service. And I was certain this individual would quiet down after a moment, but I quickly realized that was not the case. So as this individual would not quiet down, but rather they got louder and louder, I motioned for a couple members of our security team to help just calm her down so I could, I could talk to you. That was all. Well, she did not calm down. It only escalated from there, and I am now the bad guy. Now, I was told that she caught the Holy Spirit, and therefore she could not control herself, and how dare I quench what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do? So that's what I want to address just very briefly here this morning. I very quickly want to answer the question, because this is kind of a subject that nobody wants to touch. This is a tough subject. Does the Holy Spirit take control of you to the point you cannot control what you're doing? like we see in services. That's the question I want to address. Remember, this is what I was taught. I was taught that that was the case. But what does God's Word say? That's all I care about. I don't care what the evangelist in the next county says. I want to know what God has to say, so let's find out. During Paul's second missionary journey, he stopped at the city of Corinth, 
and he ministered in that city for about a year and a half. He started the church there. After the church was established, he then headed to the city of Ephesus to minister there. After roughly two years-ish of Paul being in the city of Ephesus, he receives a very disturbing report of some things that were happening in the church in Corinth that he had founded. So in AD 55, Paul wrote a letter to the leadership of the church to bring a word of correction. This letter is found in the New Testament of our Bible, the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you read this letter, the whole thing, you're going to see that there are numerous problems facing this church. It was causing division, and they were fighting amongst themselves. Of all the problems they were facing, I just want to focus on one. Of all the issues that were being dealt with in that church, I want to focus on what was happening in the church service itself. The church service itself had gotten out of control in relation to the Holy Spirit's work. So what you had happening was a group of people, not just one, yet a group of people, that were acting out in service under the disguise of the Holy Spirit, basically claiming they had no control over their actions because the Holy Spirit had come upon them, and how dare you challenge me and stop the move of the Spirit. You see, what happened last week is nothing new. Paul, Paul dealt with this as well. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul gives instructions on what is appropriate and what is inappropriate in a worship service. I'm not talking about your personal time with God. You can do whatever you want in your personal time with God. That's between you and God. But in a worship service where other people are gathered together, there are rules for that when other people are present. So let's read some of what he says, starting at verse 26. He says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, he's talking about meeting together, one will sing, another will teach, another will uh, tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what he said. That's the tongues and interpretation of tongues that can happen in a service. It's all biblical, but now watch. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. That's the, there's the criteria right there. Everything that's done must strengthen all. Worship strengthens all. The preaching of the word strengthens all. Does an individual screaming during the altar call strengthen all? No. It takes the attention off of God, and it puts the attention on to an individual. Now jump down to verse 32. Watch this. Here's your answer. Remember that people who prophesy, prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit, are in control of their spirit. Those who prophesy are in control of their spirit, and they can take turns. Now watch. For God is not a God of disorder. Do you see that? That means he does not bring confusion and chaos. He's not the author of that but of peace, as in all of God's holy, uh, God's holy people. Paul goes on in verse 40 to say, all things should be done decently and in order because God is a God of order. Just read the word of God and you'll see that. He has a plan and a purpose for everything. Now watch this. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 further emphasizes this point when he lists the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. Here are the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
If the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, to make to say that the Holy Spirit is going to make you act outside of your control would be like saying God contradicts himself. So will the Holy Spirit overtake you and make you do things outside of your control? According to the Word of God, that answer is no. Not based on what I... It's according to the Word of God, the answer is no. Now, you will see evidence of people in the Bible that when they do come into the presence of God... Sometimes they'll collapse. You'll see that numerous times, actually. We see this with Paul in Acts chapter 9 when he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. He says, it says he fell to the ground. And I've seen that happen to people. Our flesh cannot handle the presence of God. In Exodus chapter 33, God tells Moses that no one can see his face and live. The presence of God is too much for our flesh. It makes our flesh weak. John in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17 comes into the presence of God. And this is what he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Can't move. Quite different from a person swinging from the chandeliers in a church service claiming it's the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. I wrestled with this as well. I'm coming from a place where this is what I was taught. And I wrestled with it because what I seen written in the Word of God contradicted what I was taught. There are, however, now listen to me very carefully, examples in the Bible of people losing control of their actions and being forced to act outside of their will. This does happen. Read the Gospels. You'll see it a lot. When you do see it, you will see it as because they are under the influence of a demon. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened last week. Could it be? It's possible. The sheer timing of that does make me question some things. But we also see from the church in Corinth that it is a result of people acting in the flesh. You ever heard, it's, it's emotion. You ever heard the saying, man, I'm so excited I could barely contain it? That's kind of what it's like, you know, when the Spirit of God comes upon you. But there's an excitement. There's an, a joy that comes from that. And you just want to shout it out. But... But to say that the Holy Spirit makes you do that and you can't stop me because the Holy Spirit's making me do that according to the Word of God is false. Look, I love you. I love this church. I love this city. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here. It'd be so much easier to do something else. But I'm not going to lie, this last week was a bit tough, especially the first part of the week. I was, after the service last week, I was falsely accused of stuff. I was called names, and I was even told I was going to hell, all because I did not allow something that some people perceived as the Holy Spirit. I have been called by God to draw you closer to Him, not closer to me. Because of that, I am going to stick to the teaching of the Word of God, and I'm not going to put up with nonsense that takes your attention off of Him. I want you to know that when you come into this place, it's going to be about God. It's only going to be about God, and I'm going to do my best to protect you from people that try to steal the spotlight from God. Only God gets the spotlight here. And if you are one that likes the spotlight, then you're in the wrong place. Hopefully that helped you. Either that or it ticked you off one of the two. I don't know. But Thank you to the security team that helped last week. I so much appreciate all of you guys for, for helping me deal with that. I, I apologize for the time I had to take in service to do that, but I felt like it was important to do so. If you'd like to talk to me further on that, man, give me a call at the church office. Just leave me a message. I'll call you back as soon as I can, and I'd be more than happy to talk to you. Okay, let's get started. Now time for the message. I believe God has given me a great truth for you today. Um, actually, you're going to get in two truths because you've already gotten one, but I'm calling this message... Uh, of all things, believe it or not, inconvenienced. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, for the next few moments, I just ask that you would give me the mind of Christ. 
I ask God that I ask for your anointing. I need your anointing, God. If you don't anoint me, these words will fall flat. They will be, they, they will be uh, pointless, but God, if you anoint me, they will go forth and they will touch and change lives of the people that hear them. And so, God, that is what I pray today for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be starting a new series that's called Beyond the Walls. One of the most common phrases you will hear in almost every church is we have to get outside of the walls of the church. We have to reach the lost. We have to reach our community. I think every church member in every church would agree with that statement. They would say, yeah, of course, the Great Commission Fancy mission statements and are crafted and vision statements with this thought in mind and everybody shakes hands and they agree. There are even some churches that have named themselves church without walls. But the sad reality is for many, that's as far as it gets. It never goes beyond what's written on a piece of paper. We know the mission field is outside of the walls of the church. We know that the lost and the hurting are outside of the walls of the church. But so many Christians and so many churches decide to stay inside the walls of the church. Even though their mission and their vision statements tell them they should go outside the walls, they stay inside, they sit comfortably next to the fire, and they sing Kumbaya. And I get it. We like comfort. It's safer inside the walls. I've told the story before when I was the children's pastor at the church in Colorado. The, the pastor that hired me told me, he said, I'm bringing you here because we have become inward focused as a church and I'm ready to make a difference in our community. What he was saying was, I don't just want to talk about it anymore. I'm ready to go beyond the walls of the church. And everyone was in agreement. The board, the church. But as soon as we actually started going outside the walls of the church and bringing people into the church inside the walls, people started to rise up and complain. What are you doing? How dare you bring in these people from the outside and upset my little cart of comfort? You see, the reality is many people talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And it's because we like comfort. I like comfort. We don't like it when our boat's rocked. We don't like to be inconvenienced in life. We don't want to deal with the problems that lie just beyond the walls of the church. So what we do is we shut ourselves in, we lock the doors, and we talk about the problems of the church to give the appearance that we really care. Let's just be real. When we get involved in problems outside of the church walls, it's a little inconvenient to our schedules. It takes work to go outside the church walls. To go outside the church walls means I'm going to have to give up some things. I'm going to have to sacrifice a little bit to help another person in need. It's not going to be about me anymore. And to be honest, some people just simply don't like that. That reminds me of a video I seen years ago. It's just really funny. I got to show this again. Go ahead and roll that. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. 
You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. That's always been a classic. I've always liked that video. When, uh, when Jesus walked this earth, he didn't sit back with his disciples and talk about the problems. People were never an inconvenience to him. When people were hungry, he would feed them. When they needed healing, he would minister to them. When people needed direction in life, he would teach them. He didn't ignore the problems. He faced the problems head on. So we are not going to be a church that shuts the doors, hides and sides, and talks about the problems of our community. We are going to be a church that goes beyond the walls and makes a difference in our community. And because of that, we're going to have to deal with some things like we dealt with last week because that's what happens when you go outside the walls. When we arrived in Green Bay, you may remember that I said we're not going to be just another church that takes up real estate on a corner lot. We're going to be a church that makes such an impact on our community that if the doors of this church would ever shut, our city would feel it. And that's what we've become. Jesus said that we are the light of the world as his followers, his light shines through us. He tells us not to hide the light, but to let it shine. We let it shine by going out beyond the walls. We have the message that can literally change people's life and set them free. So the purpose of this message is to help us as a church to keep on mission, to keep our focus. Because I've, like I've said before, this weekend service is actually a very small part of what we do every week. We are reaching now nearly 1,500 people every week through our different outreach ministries that we do here throughout the week. It's amazing to see what God's doing, but I don't want to fall into the trap of letting off the gas because it's when we let off the gas, we very slowly stop doing and we just start talking about it. And the next thing you know, the doors of the church are closed to the community and we're doing no good to anybody. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 1. Today's notes are actually, they're going to be available in the YouVersion Bible app. Just uh, search the events and you'll be able to find them there. If you need instructions on how to get on the YouVersion app, we have those at the hub. Just stop, stop by there. Okay, Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 1. It says, when Herod, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. This is what, that, that is why he can do such miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as, the, as, a, as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. Verse 4, John had been telling Herod it is against God's, will, God's law for you to marry her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he had said, but because of the vow he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. 
Verse 12, later John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then he went and told, then they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed him on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now here in Matthew chapter 14, we read about the death of John the Baptist. The disciples bury his body, then they report to Jesus that he had died. Upon hearing this news, Jesus gets into a boat and he withdraws to a solitary place to be by himself. Now there's some argument or just some discussion as to why Jesus did this. Some say it was to escape the hand of Herod as it was not his appointed time to die. Others say it was to mourn the death of his dear friend John the Baptist. The truth is we don't know exactly why he wanted to get away, but we do know that he was wanting to be by himself. He's wanting to get away to be by himself. However, the word of his arrival spreads quickly and crowds begin to run from the nearby towns to greet him. Jesus finally uh, finally gets back on shore and there is a mass amount of people there to greet him and have their needs met. Now what's he going to do? Talk about an inconvenience. This is not what he had planned He's just wanting to get away, to be by himself, but now he's faced with this task of this large group of people in front of him. Think about this for a moment. Put yourself into his shoes. He just lost a close friend. He is tired. He is weary. All he wants to do is get away and have some time to himself, but he has this massive need in front of him. How would you respond if you were in this situation? What would you do if you were in the boat and you were headed to land and you were tired and you are weary and you are spent and you see this crowd of people waiting on you? Would you be tempted to put the sail back up and head back out to sea? I don't know what's going on. The wind picked up. I mean, Jesus could command the wind and the waves. All he had to do was say, north wind blow, and it would have taken him him back out and he'd have been like, I don't know what's going on. Sorry, guys. He could have completely avoided this inconvenience awaiting him on the shoreline. But we don't see that. Instead, when he glances at the crowd, he doesn't see an inconvenience. He sees hurting people. He sees lame people. He sees blind people. He sees diseased people. And this is where we see the perspective of God in relation to inconveniences. Jesus did not view the inconvenience as a burden. He viewed it as an opportunity. I'm going to say that again. Jesus did not view this inconvenience as a burden. He viewed it as an opportunity. He viewed it as an opportunity for the word of God to go forth and the power of God to be displayed. Maybe, just maybe, God allows inconveniences into our lives for the same reasons. What if our perspective is not that these moments are a burden to us, but what if our perspective is this moment could be an opportunity What if these moments are opportunities for you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus? What if these moments are opportunities to help change someone's life for the glory of God? Jesus has compassion on them. He gets out of the boat and he starts to minister to some hurting people. He is tired. He is weary. But he does this all day into the evening. Verse 15, that evening... The disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, it's getting late, 
Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages to buy some food for themselves. It's been a long day of ministry. The disciples are getting restless. You can sense from their comment that they're just, they're spent, they're done, they're tired, they're hungry, they're ready to go home. They see the same need of the crowd that Jesus sees. They see the same hurt that Jesus sees, and they're ready to send them away. It's time. We've done what we can do. They don't want to mess with it anymore. Let's send them away. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 16. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. What? Can you imagine being one of the disciples? What? Did, did you? Are you talking to me? <laughs> Now, this response from Jesus, it really rattles the disciples. If you read the same account in the book of John, you'll get a little bit more insight into their reaction. They thought it was ridiculous. This is a ridiculous request. How are we supposed to afford to buy everybody something to eat? But here's the thing you have to understand. God will never ask you to do something and then fail to provide what you need to do it. God will never ask us as a church to reach out to the hurting, to reach out to the poor, to reach out to the broken, and not provide what we need to reach them. At first, it looks impossible. It looks overwhelming. But we serve a God who turns the impossible into the possible. And I want you to know that it is our job to take a step, to take a risk, and allow the provider to be the provider. We start with what we have, even though it might be small, and we use whatever he's placed into our hands for his glory. So the disciples search the crowd. They find a small boy, according to John. He's carrying five loaves of bread and two fish. The argument can be made that this is all this boy had. This was his meal for his family. It's all he had. The boy gives the little food to the disciples. And here's where we pick up the story in verse 17. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the disciples to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They ate, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Now the Bible records 5,000 men present in this large crowd. Many people have made the argument, you've probably heard it, that if it includes all the women and children, you'd probably be looking at a crowd size between fifteen and 20,000 people easily. That's a lot of people to feed with five loaves of bread and two fish. But I think, what if this little boy would have said, I only have a little How's my little ever going to make a difference in the sea of people? I'm not going to give what I have. The need is too big. I can't make a difference. What if, what if the disciples would have kept it to themselves because they are hungry too? It was only when they gave away what they had that they seen the miracle. In the hands of the boy and in the hands of the disciples, the food amounted to five loaves and two fish. It wasn't worth anything more. But something happened when they passed the food into the hands of Almighty God. And church, we have seen this principle lived out right in front of us with what God has done in this church. Look at the miracle of the food pantry. When COVID hit and we ran that thing seven days a week, we didn't have a lot of food. You've, t you've heard me tell the story. 
I went in there, I remember when it, when it hit and everything was shutting down and God said, I want you to open that food pantry seven days a week and hand out food to everybody that comes. And I went in there after service, after I preached that Sunday, and we had shelves in there full, probably worth two days worth of food and that was it. And I was scared because I, feel like, I felt like God was telling me to do this, but remember, he's not going to ask you to do something and then fail to provide what you need to do it. But I could have said, you know, this is all we got, God. I'm just going to kind of play it safe. And we wouldn't see the miracles that we've seen. We just gave away what we had. We put it in the hands of God, and in the hands of God, it multiplied. This principle is true with anything in life. The more we spill to help others, the more he fills. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And that's what we've done. We've gone beyond the walls of the church to help the hurting. And because of that, that's why we have seen the blessings of God. Just think about it. The backpacks that we have been able to give away, the toys that we give away at Christmas time, the clothing that we give away, the more we spill and the more we give away, the more God continues to fill the bucket. This is also true with our talents. This is true with our time, and it's true with our resources. We serve a big God, and we have to understand that things in His hands go a lot further than when they're in mine. His hands are bigger than mine. There's a story of a young boy. You might have heard this. He goes into a local store with his mother. The shop owner, being a very kind man, passed a large jar of suckers and invited the little boy to help himself to a handful. Uncharacteristically, the boy holds back. So the shop owner looks at him confused, and he reaches his hand into the, to the bucket, and he pulls out a, 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 a handful of suckers, and he places them in, in a bag for the boy and hands the boy the bag. When they get outside, the boy's mother asked why he had suddenly been so shy, and he wouldn't take a handful of suckers when offered, and the boy replied, because his hand is so much bigger than mine. His hand is bigger than yours. His hand is bigger than yours, but the only way to get what's in his hand is to release what is in yours. And that's what's hard. The little boy here in our story that gave away the fish and the bread, he gave away all that he had. He gave the little food that he had, and he put it into the one's hands that were bigger than his. And because of that act of faith, he ended up going home with more than he came with. It took faith. God will never ask you to do something and fail to provide what you need to do it. I wonder what would happen if we started viewing inconveniences as opportunities just as Jesus did. Think of the miracles that you would see in your life if we continually put ourselves in inconvenient territory. I want to challenge you, the next time you're faced with what you might consider an inconvenience, I want you to ask yourself three very important questions. Number one, I want you to ask yourself, what is the need? We're going to answer these questions by looking at the, putting ourselves in the shoes of this little boy here in, their, here in our story. So what is the need? In the case of the little boy, he looks at the need and people are hungry. That's the need. Question two, we ask, what do I have? The little boy then asks the question, what do I have? How can I contribute what can I do to make a difference to solve this problem, to help this need? Well, I have five loaves and two fish. It's not much, but it's what I've got. 
And then number three, what can I do? The little boy answered this question by handing over his food to Jesus. Well, this, this little I have, Jesus, probably won't go far, but what I have, I'm going to give you. I know it can't feed everybody, Jesus, but I know I can feed a few with it. I can do something. And he gave away what he had to help people. And that's the mindset we need to have. Sometimes we look at a big need and we ask, man, what difference can I make? The problem is too great. So we just give up and we never do anything and we sit on the sidelines. We believe that the little we have can't make a difference. Listen to me. I want you to know that you can make a big difference. Even if you help one person, you can make a difference. And I stand up here and I look at the problems in our city and it's overwhelming to me. I see all of the needs of our city and it's easy to ask, what can I possibly do? What can Green Bay First possibly do to solve these problems? The problems are too great. They're bigger than us. They're beyond us, but they're not bigger than God. The calls now I get from people for help, I'm not kidding, have increased tenfold of what they used to be. And I hear the same thing, Pastor, you don't know me, but I've heard that you are a church that helps people, and I need help. And it breaks my heart because the needs are so great, and I want to help everybody. Sometimes it feels like I can't keep up with the needs. People needing housing, utility assistance, you name it. And I do my best to help everyone, but it's so hard, and I know I can't, but I, this, I, this I do know, I can help some. I might not be able to make a rent payment. I might not be able to pay off an electric bill, but I can provide people with food. I can encourage them. I can pray for them. When you see the need, ask, what do I have and what can I do? We can all do something. I can ride a bus to pick up some kids on a Wednesday or pick up some adults on a Sunday. And I can encourage somebody that's going through a difficult time. I can pray for somebody that's sick. I can hand food to somebody. We can all do something to make a difference in the life of another person. Let me give you a practical example. If you come up to me and you would ask, first question, Pastor, what is the need? I might, I might answer that question. Well, I need people that's, that's going to serve on our buses. I need people that are going to come in on Wednesday night and help with the youth and the kids that we bring in. That's just a small, I could name several. Then we ask the second question. After I tell you the need, that's the need. Okay, now what do I have? Well, I have ability. I have health. God's given me a strong mind. So we ask the third question, well, what can I do? Well, I could learn to mentor some kids. I can, put, I can dish out food and put food on plates. I can pour drinks. I can clean the tables after the kids are done eating. You know, it might inconvenience me a bit because I'd rather sit at home and relax and watch YouTube videos and, and Netflix, but the souls of people are at stake. I can do something. You can make a difference in the life of someone. I encourage you, take whatever you have, as small as it might be, put it in the hands of God, and watch what He does through you. When we all get this mentality, the mentality that I can make a difference to one when you combine that together, to, together, you get a force, a people now united that can literally change a city for the glory of God. Never believe the lie that you can't make a difference. You can make a difference, and God has put you on this earth to make a difference. Sam, I'm going to go ahead and have you come back up, if you could. I close with this. There's a story of an elderly gentleman who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. 
He had a habit of walking on the beach every morning before he would begin his work. And early one morning, he's walking along the shore, and it's after a big storm had passed, and he found the vast beach littered with starfish as far as the eye could see, stretching in both directions, just thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Well, off in the distance, this, this man notices a small boy approaching. As the boy is walking, he paused ever so often as he grew closer, and the man could see that he was occasionally bending down, and he was picking up something, and he was throwing it into the sea. The boy came closer, and the man called out, Good morning. Can I ask you what you're doing? The young boy paused. He looked up, and he replied, Well, I'm throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide has washed them up onto the beach. They can't return to the sea by themselves. And so when the sun gets high, they're all going to die unless I throw them back into the water. The old man chuckled at him and replied, but there must be tens and thousands of starfish on this beach. I'm afraid you're not really going to be able to make a difference. The boy bent down. He picked up yet another starfish, and he threw it as far as he could into the ocean. He turned to the man. He smiled, and he said, it just made a difference to that one. You can make a difference. People have seen what has happened with our food pantry and our outreach ministries, but, but they, the food pantry specifically, and they've come in to ask me, hey, Pastor, how can I start that? They don't like my answer because it's so simple. Step one, this is how you start a food pantry. Step one, buy food. Step two, find hungry person. Step three, give food to hungry person. You now have a food ministry, a meals ministry. That's where you start. Honestly, that's where you start. Take whatever you have and place it into the hands of God and be faithful with it and watch what He does. When you take what you have and you surrender it to God, you are putting yourself in miracle territory. It really is that simple. What is the need? What do I have? What can I do? We try to overcomplicate things so much, but this is where we start. If you're faithful with what you have, then others will begin to catch the vision and the ministry will begin to grow. But you start by making a difference to one. Just focus on the one. Watch this, Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. The Lord rejoices to see you serving one. That's where it begins. Every dream starts small. You stay faithful with the small. You put it in the hands of God. And you watch Him work. You watch the miracles that will unfold as a result of that. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we just want to thank you for your word today. God, it is my prayer that this word is an encouragement to your people. The needs, God, of this world are so overwhelming to us. God, if we focus on that next step, if we focus on I can help one, and we just start there, and we just stay faithful with the one, next thing you know, there's going to come another, there's going to come another, there's going to come another. Then you add people to it. You strengthen the ministry. You just rejoice to see the work begin, God. And so, Lord, Lord we want to thank you. So, Father, it is my prayer today that, that there's some people in this room, God, that people watching online, they're not doing anything. For your kingdom and maybe it's because they believe the lie what can I do the needs are too great they can do something so God maybe what you've placed on their heart maybe the dream that you've given them will be reignited today 
and they leave this place, they say, you know what, I've got this dream on my heart. It's a big dream. It's a dream to change this city, and now I know where I need to start. I need to start with one. God, I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to keep your head bowed.